If you have a, a bulletin, grab it. I'm going to read something. We're going to read something together from it. Um, as you guys probably know, a lot of you guys know, we sent out uh, a team of, there's a total of seven people or eight people on the trip, and uh, two of them are from here. Dave, uh, one of the other pastors here, and Amanda are there in uh, North India today, and um, some amazing work is happening. And before I read this, I want to just say this. Um, the stuff that I read earlier and the proclamations we just made through song, uh, really astounded by this fact, that there are, wherever you find yourself this morning, in a place of just contentment or a place of oppression or difficulty or hardship or the enemy is pushing in on you or if you've, we're going to hear about in a second people who have never heard the name Jesus. They've never even heard that term before. It's, it doesn't, it's, it, the, that word has never been spoken in their lives before. Or somebody who's grown up in a church forever. No matter where you are, where you find yourself, the fact that God is your hope and your refuge and your redeemer and he's plentiful in all of those things and his steadfast love and his redemption and his strength and his hope and his love that he provides, all of those things are full to everyone. Wherever you find yourself in the, the scheme of life of you've got a big smile on your face or you're really discouraged, if you've heard of Christ or you haven't, Jesus is Jesus, and he wants to speak redemption into your life. So I want to read this. Uh, this is an email that Dave sent to me to, to bring to you guys this morning, and it reads like something from the book of Acts. And I want you to just connect with, with what's happening here. I write to you from North India with much joy in my heart. After 34 long hours of travel... We've settled into our hotel and have been hard at work doing ministry around town for the past two days. Already we've seen the Lord doing amazing things since Freshwater was last here six months ago. And Freshwater is the church that we've uh, partnered with. They've been there several times already. Since Freshwater was last here six months ago, by God's grace, Freshwater's national church planter in India, and I'll talk about him in the sermon in a minute, has planted a sixth church in town. Praise the Lord. We've had the opportunity to visit several homes in the area, sharing stories from the Bible and testimonies of our own lives, ultimately the gospel. Saying we've been very well received is quite the understatement. If you've ever had the dream of feeling like you're a movie star, you should come here in July. What he means is we're going to take another trip there in July. So here's your first advertisement. Start saving to go. Start praying about going. Our first home visit started with about 10 people when we walked in, and very quickly, in about five minutes' time, there's well over 100 people present. Think about that. We've got about 50 here this morning. Imagine five minutes from now, 10 times that. The name of Jesus is powerful. After meeting a Hindu woman, she asked us to return tomorrow to her home to share more stories. One man invited us over for tea, and our team of seven could barely fit into his house. This man is not a Christian, 
So praise the Lord for the connection that's made for Dinesh and pray for further relationship and salvation. Of the near 110 people at that meeting, Dinesh, again, he's the church planter there that lives and born and raised in India, said most of them he'd never seen before. Dinesh was ecstatic, even to the point of tears one time, over the harvest that God had brought yesterday, which was Friday. Yesterday afternoon, we visited the Hindu temple of the god Krishna, which is an incredible stronghold in the town here of Maduro, since that was his birthplace. The purpose of our visit there was to give our team some context for the ministry and the obstacles to the gospel that are present in this town and country. Pray for the truth of the gospel to break through this false god and religion. Today, which was Saturday when he wrote this, has been packed, a packed day with two meetings sharing stories, one at the home of a Hindu woman. Incredible ground is being broken for Dinesh and the work of the gospel as we've had great opportunities and receptivity with some saying they want to follow Christ. Did you hear that? These people have never heard Jesus before. We can't, we would have to travel hundreds, thousands of miles to find somebody that hasn't heard the name of Jesus. Dave and the team are working amidst people who have never heard the term of, name of Jesus a week ago. Coming to Christ. Each evening we go to Dinesh's home for a long time of encouragement and Bible teaching equipping his family to continue doing the work of ministry. This is our most important time each day. We've also enjoyed playing badminton and some great food there. Well, there's much more to say, and I can't wait to return to share with you, which is what Dave's going to do next week. He's going to bring uh, more stories, more personal stories about what he's saying here. The team is doing great. Amanda gives her hellos and is killing it here. Doug is great also. He's a, the brother-in-law of Dave who kind of connected with him to go. Continue to pray for good health that's been going great and safety as we travel around crazy, and I mean crazy, roads. Blessing to know and blessing to you and know that my heart is there with you this morning as you worship our God together. Know that I miss you and I'm incredibly excited to report to you in person. Some of you are excited about coming here in July. Um, and this is really cool too. I got a text about 20 minutes ago from Dave. Um, today we broke ground in a new village sharing stories and testimonies of the 150 people we talked to only two had heard the name of Jesus it was like when you were sleeping when you woke up when you took a shower this morning that was what was going on in India Um, and it's beautiful breathtaking Amazing. So I want to talk this morning about missionaries and Freshwater has been over there several times. I think this is their fourth time being over there. And they, this guy, Dinesh, that I talked about, they support him. They actually give him a salary. And his job is to go into these little communities and pour into people's lives and invest in people and find those that God is raising up to, to lead this group of people. And then his job really is those six church plants that they've done. His job is to disciple and mentor those six guys that have risen up and been become the pastor of these little groups of maybe they're 20, maybe they're 150. Who knows? They're just growing and, and popping up all over the place. And so 
fresh water as they went over there originally. They studied the culture. They thought about how the best way is to to tell these people the story of Christ. Remember, these people have never heard the name of Jesus. They have a language barrier and they have a reading barrier. They don't read. And so before Freshwater went over there for the first time, before our people went over there for the first time, Dave and Amanda and Doug had been studying, learning stories because these people can't read. So they've got to learn the story of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. There's seven or eight people over there. I can't remember if it's seven or eight. And each one of them have three or four stories to be able to tell, they've memorized, to speak to these people. And it's got to be simple, and it's got to be quick, and it's got to be reproducible for them. Because if I go and tell Mikey the story of Christ, he's never heard of Jesus. If I go and tell him the story, and then I leave, and Mikey isn't able to, to speak it again, it's, it's been a wasted time. Or if we go over there and, and give them some sort of literature, it's, it's useless. It's, so they have, they've studied the culture and decided this is the way, this is the way for us to spread the gospel of Christ. And so because it's such a great time investment, 34 hours of travel to get there, and because it's such a, a great financial investment, it's like a $2,000 plane ticket to get over there. Because of that, they have to do a lot of work on this end to, before they go over so that their time there can be as effective as possible. And what, what that's called, really, is exegeting the culture. All right? That's a, a buzzword to, to say, to study the culture and figure out the best way to proclaim the gospel to them. Put it into a different context. I love my wife, and I want to share... My, I want to share joy. I want to give my wife joy. And so my job as a, as a husband, if I want to be a good husband, is to exegete her heart, to understand what it is, how it is, what, how she experiences and feels love and joy. That's my job to figure her out, to show her joy and love and, and what I want to give to her. As a missionary, it's their job to exegete that culture to figure out how they're going to be able to best share the gospel. Another thing you have to do when you go on a mission trip is to be able to to reproduce. Again, if they go over there and and it ends with the people that they're speaking to, it's what what's the point? We've we've it's that's not what the uh what the gospel was was meant to do, meant to be, it was meant to to be reproduced. And they want their time over there to be really effective. And so they're trying to, they've said the most important time is when they get to invest in Dinesh, the, the church planter over there. And the point of that is so that Dinesh can go and reproduce there. So we got to exit the culture and we got to be able to, to reproduce in people what God has produced in us. That's their main focus and vision. So what does that mean for us Today, I think probably the most important thing that's happening in India, from our perspective, we can, the most important thing that we can learn from is learning to do those same things over there. We understand the obvious need for them to be able to exegete the culture. Okay, this culture can't read. We have to tell them the story. 
Okay, they've never heard the name of Jesus. They don't have Bibles. They couldn't read them anyway. We've got to teach them to teach these stories. And we can connect with the need for that over there. We can connect with the need for us to exegete their culture and learn how to teach them to reproduce because the expense of time and the expense of money is so great. But what we can learn for us, these hurdles there are obvious for here. We have to, we can, we can see and learn those same things for us here. Our command is to be missionaries in this culture. How much time do we spend exegeting our culture for the gospel? What do we know about the guy we work with? What do we know about our neighbor? That's the same context of the way that the, the Hindu people are going to hear the name of Jesus in India is for us to learn to tell the story simply. How, does your, how do we exegete the culture of your neighbor, of your, of your parents, of, of the person that you work with? A great example for us is to see this culture needing to be exegeted. I want to take us to two short passages and how that informs what we do today. Matthew 28. Verse 19, don't turn there. It's going to be on the screen, and it's really quick and really simple. And you've probably heard it many times. This is Christ a few days before he ascends back up into heaven, giving us our final command. So don't make any mistakes about what this is, what's happening here. This is Jesus, and this word has been persevered to you speaking to you, this is what God wants you to do. You ever been confused about God, what God wants you to do? Yes, you've all been there. Here it is. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hundreds of thousands of sermons have been preached on this one verse. It's the Great Commission. You might have heard it called the Great Commission. But I want to focus in on one word. The one word is disciples. But here it shows up as a phrase, make disciples. The word make disciples that we translate as a phrase, make disciples, appears four times in Scripture. The word disciples appears 264 times in Scripture. Here, the command that Jesus is giving to us is to go and make disciples. And the root of the word is this. Reproduce what God has produced in you. Reproduce what people have produced in you. To be a disciple, if we study this word, to be a disciple is to be a disciple maker. Do you understand that? To be a disciple is to be a disciple maker. They, they are not separate. We translate this word into two, make disciples. But really, that's one word. So what I want to proclaim to you and speak to you is that God's final command, when he was here as Jesus, his final command to you was to reproduce. Go and make disciples. 
um, I have the privilege of serving on a, on a team that really began a, in strength a couple of years ago. There's a, there's a program that I'm involved with um, called the Summer Missionary Program. The interns that we have every summer, they're part of that program. And I got to be, it used to be something different where they were just kind of hired hands to go and work at a camp and be like slave labor all summer. But we kind of transitioned that to, to being more about the students and less about what they're done. There, there's a, 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 a quote that I heard that kind of mobilizes that and gives motivation to that is we don't use interns to get ministry done. We use ministry to get interns done. So I got to be part of this project. A, a good friend of mine works at, at the Missouri Baptist Convention, and, and they kind of sponsor this financially, and he brought me in to kind of invest in these people and talk about them. And, and we uh, began to understand that there is a gap. We need to fill this gap for the next generation and begin to invest in these students. And instead of having them come and work 45-hour weeks, let's come and let them work and do all that they're doing, but assign a mentor to them to guide and shepherd and invest and disciple them for the three months that they're with us in the summertime. And the philosophy behind that is this word here, this Greek word that we see that's translated as make disciples. And my prayer for us is that this mission trip that we see, and we've just got to to read this report on, and would inform us and draw us in to this desperate need for us to reproduce. And, and here's, here's the thing that I'm fearful of. is I, I was talking to, to Ben during the prayer time today. There's this concept that another pastor friend of mine has talked about, inoculation. We are inoculated to the gospel, and we are inoculated to discipleship. What I mean inoculation is when a baby is born, they are, we, we try to inoculate them to disease. What that means is we give them a little bit of the disease so that when the whole of the disease comes, it doesn't overtake them and kill them. All right? So we give them a little bit so that when a lot comes, their body's used to it and it doesn't affect them. We... In Western culture, especially in the Midwest, have been inoculated to the gospel and inoculated to discipleship, which is why it's so beautiful for us to see and understand that 150 people Dave just got to preach to, and 148 of those had never heard this Jesus before. They haven't been inoculated to the gospel. They haven't been inoculated to Jesus. You think those people that have just come to Christ want to spend all of their time with Dave and our crew to learn about Jesus so they can go tell people? Because they haven't been inoculated to what it means to make disciples. For us, most of us are going to go about our day, about our week, and on Tuesday, we're going to remember something about what it meant to make disciples We're going to remember something about it, but it won't completely overcome us because we've been given just enough 
of the gospel and just enough of this idea of discipleship to go and make disciples, to go and reproduce, that the whole of it never overcomes us. If the gospel is a disease that can overtake us and destroy us, and it is, inoculation to the gospel is probably the biggest enemy we can ever face. Because it's just enough to make us a little bit sick and not enough to kill us. So, turn to Titus 2, if you would. How does this actually work? What do we do? How do we do these things? Um, <clears throat> practical steps, practical direction for our lives. Starting uh, Titus 2, verse 2. And I want to, the first two words there, older men, I want to qualify those things a little bit. This is directives for us to begin to pour and invest into those that are beneath us in the spiritual journey. And I don't mean to say that hierarchically like I'm somehow better than you or you're somehow better than somebody else. Just someone who has been around it and learned and more. That's what we're talking about when we see older men and then later when we see him addressing women. This is who he is talking to. This is how we can exegete this passage and allow it to speak to our hearts. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. We're going to walk through those things individually in a second. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Man, this is the, the heart of it. If, if you're looking for something to memorize, to plant deep in your spirit, this is discipleship. This is what Christ said when he said, go and make disciples. You're looking for some practical stuff here. Verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model. Hey, watch what I do of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. In sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. So I want to break these things down. For the, for the men, we are to be sober-minded. For the men, you are the command for your life. If you are to go and make disciples, here it is. Here are four steps, four things for you to do. First, be sober-minded. And what we mean by sober-minded is be focused. What is in your brain that can distract you from focus? Is it what our minds go to when we think of sober, drugs, and alcohol. 
Does that distract you from your purpose, from your mission? If so, stop. What about other stuff that distracts us from our purpose? For me, there are two football games on this afternoon that are going to command my attention. I'm not sober-minded when all of me wants to do nothing but, but zone in on those two football games. That's sober-minded. Don't hear me saying football's bad. Don't hear me saying don't watch football today. What I hear me saying, don't allow extracurricular things. Don't allow things outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ to distract you from your mission. Second, be dignified. Not much to say about that word. Be dignified. Be self-controlled. Self-controlled. And as we, as we speak about these things, I want, I'm going to use exegete again. I want us to exegete our hearts, exegete our souls, examine the core of who we are. Sober-minded. Are we sober-minded? If not, get there. Get along with somebody who can help you get there. Confess that to people. Are you dignified? Are you not? Are you self-controlled? Are you not? Examine your heart. And if you're not these things, get alongside people. There's people in this room that would love to walk alongside you with that. There are people in this room that need you to walk alongside them while they wrestle with it, while you wrestle with it. All those things together. God has beautifully and sovereignly and magnificently drawn us together to help us to be sober-minded, to be dignified, to be self-controlled, to be sound in faith. Surrender and trust. To be sound in love. To be sound in steadfastness. Steadfastness is a great word. And again, these are qualities of the one that is discipling, that is making disciples, that is mentoring, guiding. Man, I want my, the guy that, I've, that God has placed in my life to be steadfast. So that motivates my soul to strongly want to be steadfast. Be steadfast, men. Be steadfast, men. You hear me? This is too important. Your mission is way too important. Be steadfast, women. First, be reverent in your behavior. Reverent in your behavior. I, th- I think of like the lady in the perfectly pressed dress in church that sat next to me and gave me dirty looks when I talked. It's, maybe she was reverent, but I don't know. Uh, reverent in behavior means this, moving towards sanctification, moving towards holiness, moving towards priestliness, drawing those around you into a deeper, more intimate communion with God. Ladies, this is what God is calling you to. 
This is how to disciple. This is how to be discipled. Find somebody that's reverent in their behavior, that's moving towards sanctification, to holiness, towards priestliness, towards connecting your heart to God. And then be that. Not a slanderer. Here's the deal, ladies. Nobody should slander. Men shouldn't slander either. But here, it's telling you not to. Can I be, can I, do you love me enough for me to be honest with you right now? Shut your mouth sometimes. All right? It's too important. Please. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that God has given to us to be the agents to speak. In the same way that that Dave and the team are in India, speaking the truth to people who would otherwise not hear the name of Jesus. This is the command for your life here in this culture to a culture that's even more desperate because they've been inoculated by it. That little desire in your heart that wants to speak and say something to slander somebody. Stop it. Kill it. It's, not, it's too important. And get around people that will help you. Third, slaves to much wine. That's, that speaks on itself. Fourth, teach what is good. And this concept, teach what is good, not just a didactic teacher where I would, would show you how to diagram a sentence or I would show you how to do a math problem. It's not, not that sort of didactic teaching. It is watch me live my life. Um, the beautiful, I, I, I see this concept beautifully in my wife. There was a lady, the pastor of our church, when, where I was the youth pastor of most recently, um, his name was Jim, and his wife's name was Marcy. And Jim did this in my life. I've said many times, the only reason that he came to that church was to invest in me. And the only reason that she came to that church was to invest in my wife. And there were many times where the four of us would sit down. There were many times where just me and him or just Jen and Marcy would sit down. And Marcy would Titus to Jen. And now Jen is, is not, she's not gifted to stand up in front of us and teach. However, she is gifted to stand in the kitchen and show you how to love your husband. And show you how to, to raise a family. And there's nothing less valuable about that than there is opening the word of God. It's just who she was created to be. And she got to follow Marcy around for five years. And be invested in. And now I can look and see four or five faces in here that are to Jen what Jen was to Marcy. And it just reproduces and recycles on itself. And it's beautiful. And it's not just beautiful. It's the 
plan of God. It's the plan of God. The beautiful thing about all of this is there is, I get to talk to enough people to know this fact. Everyone, most of us admit it and some of us don't, but everyone desires to be a part of something that's bigger than they are. Can you track with that? We all want to be a part of something that's bigger than we are. Here's the news for us today. A holy, perfect God saw a sin problem in the world and the plan that he designed to redeem that world to himself is this. I'm going to send Jesus. He's going to live perfect. He's going to die and be redeemed. And then he's going to invest that into 12 people. And those 12 people are going to begin to invest in people's lives. We have a longing in us to be a part of something bigger than us. We have a longing in us to have a seat at the table. And here is God giving you your seat at the table. Here is God showing you, you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself? Be Titus 2 in your context. And the beautiful part about seeing this group on mission is that we know, we realize that if they don't exegete their culture, if they don't learn how to reproduce, their time and their money is wasted. We've got to get that same mindset into our brains here and now and stop wasting our time. Stop wasting our money. The plan of God. The You heard that phrase thousands of times in church. I don't want you to be inoculated to that phrase. The plan of God is you. You want to be a part of something big? Hello. The plan of God is you. And here it is. Four easy steps for both men and women to go and connect with. Don't be confused. You are God's plan, and this is what he's calling you to do. Live this life in front of people. Let's pray. God, I love you and I adore you and I thank you for what you've spoken into my heart, God, and I pray that you would ignite us, Father. I pray that you would overcome the inoculation that's happened in our hearts. God, I thank you that we don't have to be seminary graduates, that we don't have to be Bible scholars to reproduce, to speak. God, draw us into beautiful relationship with you. Cause us to follow you, God. And motivate us to go and to make disciples, God. 
God, I pray for relationships to form in this place. God, I pray for the nervous, the scared, the insecure in this room, God. That the grand scheme of your plan would overcome insecurities, God. That men and women in this room would go to specific people and say, God has called me to to disciple you. That men and women in this room would stand and go and say, God has called me to be discipled by you. God, penetrate our hearts and our souls with the vital nature of of this message that you've preached to us this morning, God. Throw aside our insecurities. God, give us someone. Bring their face into our brains now, God. Lord, we trust you. We give ourselves to you completely. It's in Christ's perfect name.